Hey, I gotta tell you guys about something, and I'm really excited to talk about this because I got a brand new front door lock. And it's not just any lock, it's a Eufy video lock. You might be thinking, what's the big deal, Chael? Well, okay, I'm gonna tell you. First off, it is sleek. I mean, it's a very big deal. My father used to build houses. My whole life, I've known how important curb appeal is. I used to be in real estate. When I show somebody a house, the front door is the very first thing you see. This thing is a piece of art. It truly is, and it's such a good looking piece of hardware. It instantly upgraded my front door. I was excited about the functionality. So not only do I get an instant makeover with a piece of art, you now have a different level of protection. It's a smart lock. It's got a 2K camera with audio and doorbell all in one. Most competitors are either just a camera or a smart lock. The Eufy Video Lock has both plus a doorbell and it can all be controlled via an app, which makes things so convenient. I hate when I hear the doorbell ring and I'm comfortable inside. I gotta get up, go to the door, just to find out it's a delivery man who dropped the package and is already long gone. The Eufy Video Lock now allows me to avoid all of that. I can just peek at the app. I can even talk to him or hear him talk back to me. Also, my wife and I travel a lot. It's an added level of security at my front door and it makes me feel a little bit more at ease. It was very easy to install. No, there are no monthly fees for the security video storage. The battery is rechargeable and each charge lasts about four months. The Eufy Lock is fantastic and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. Do that by going to Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you gain complete control of your door. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's happening guys? Happy Friday and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. On today's show, I'll tell you about the times Ben Askren used to text me at 3 a.m. I'm going to tell you about my conversation with Juliana Pena, and of course tomorrow's fight between Leon Edwards and Blahal Muhammad. All that's coming up, but first, I want to talk to you about the matchup that I still need to see. Adesanya versus John Jones is a match that still exists in the mind of coach Eugene Berryman. That's Adesanya's coach but not in the mind of Daniel Cormier. Daniel Cormier's opinion with anything involving John Jones and anything involving light heavyweight is well-earned. But Daniel spoke up and said, no, that, that fight's gone. And uh, about all Daniel said on it, Coach Behrman spoke up and he said, eh, not so fast. You know, John Jones is looking for a money fight. Izzy's the biggest star, biggest guy he can get a hold of. You know, we'll see, we'll see what the future brings. Time out, let me weigh in. So Daniel's perspective is definitely today's perspective. Absolutely. That's a checkers player. That's right now, next move. But Daniel, Daniel's spot on. Yeah. You know, that lost a little bit of luster. And frankly, even if Adesanya would have got his hand raised. And if you guys remember that fight with Blahovich, but I mean, but if you remember what you were thinking and feeling, we did not know who was going to win that fight until Bruce Buffer announced it. And it turns out those cards weren't even close, but but for that moment when the fight was over, it was very clear that Jan had won two rounds. But we were sitting back scratching your head going, well, did Izzy bank the first three? Did he? Turned out he did not. But I only share that with you because if Adesanya would have got his hand raised, you still have a big problem putting Jones and Adesanya together next. It was one of those things where there was no scenario based on what we saw Saturday that was going to draw you right into the same buildup and hype of Adesanya versus Jones. It was just one of those things, right? Hey, there's roadless. Something gets in the way. I mean, this is a real thing. Dana's talking about it for this weekend. Dana's talking about it right now for Edwards versus Mohammed, saying Edwards will get a title 
opportunity if he mauls Mohammed, man, this can't be a close fight. He's got to come out. He's got to show his dominance. He's got to show he's got no ring rust. He's been out of the ring for a period of time. He's got to show he can, championship rounds, championship quality, main events. He's got to show this. But if he does, yeah, I'll give him a title fight. Well, that's very consistent. I mean, Dana's done that a number of times. That's very consistent. But I bring that to you because had Adesanya beaten Blahovich, first off, the Jones Adesanya, right? It's not totally going to work. It's not totally going to work based on that performance. Okay. No problem, no problem. Let's get one in between it, revisit it. At the same time, had Adesanya beaten Blahovich, there would probably be a little bit stronger argument that we need to see Adesanya versus Blahovich, part two. Now, I bring this to you because there are ways to get Adesanya and Jones together that a simple-minded checkers approach just won't get you to. I'll give you one right here. I'll give you one right here that you never would have considered which would be the negative route, which is John Jones moves up to heavyweight and gets his ass whipped. John Jones go and gets his ass whipped and go, you know what? I'll return down here. Adesanya just got beat. He comes back up here. Let's go ahead and take care of this grudge match style. Okay. But that all of a sudden would recaptivate you and reinterest you in ways that you had not imagined. And John Jones is one of these athletes. I mean, it's very tough to use logic with John Jones. He will succeed in spite of, and then fill in the blank. He is a rare, rare talent. John Jones has taken the last six months off or even eight months off to go and lift weights as a way to build into this class. And I watched him lifting yesterday, Instagram. And he had the bar, he's on a squat rack, he had the bar and he was crossing up like this and then standing up and putting it down. And oh my, he had so much damn weight on this bar. I go, man, this guy is freaking strong. Not to mention to have this kind of strength with long legs. It's, it's a whole nother thing. Man, John is strong. There is nothing about that movement, and I mean nothing, that resembles a technique I've ever seen done in the octagon by John or anybody else. It is extremely unfunctional strength that I continue to see him working on. And John has defied the odds. And it didn't matter. I mean, a few things that'll age you real fast is lawsuits, booze, and cocaine. Any one of those three, he's got all three of them. That guy's still beating people. It's one of these things where it's, it works until it doesn't work. And I don't know if I've seen anything in John's career. And again, lawsuits and, you know, the drugs and the booze, which is public. I'm not burying John, right? These are public things. Part of his story. Suspensions that is quite as damning in my eyes as removing yourself from a sport while trying to change your physiology while 33 years old. He might be 34 years old. That's not young. When Randy Couture started this sport and had headlines everywhere and people were referring to him as grandpa, he was 34 years old. He was 34 years old. Now, I realize some guys have come along since and competed in that 34, that 36. I realize Blahovich is 38. Glover Teixeira going on 41. I realize that things are pushing and the sport's getting to a better place. I'm just, I'm just reminding you that there was a time, and it wasn't all that long ago, when 34 was old. John's, I think John's 34. He's about to be 34. I'm really close on that. He's removed himself from the sport, and he's doing an experiment. As Adesanya said, dare to be great. John is daring to be great. Let's give him a chance. Let's give him a chance. He has showed us stuff before that has defied logic, and he might be doing it now. I may be sitting here telling you about the lifts that I'm watching him do in conjunction with all the other lifts that I've had to watch him do over the last nine months because the only entertainment you can get out of John Jones, aside from when he's rigging a camera to make it look like he's running off a burglar or breaking up hoodlums downtown, there's nothing functional about it. The coach that's putting him through it is nothing MMA, wrestling, or boxing about it. I don't know how that's going to translate, but John always seems to know something that we don't, right? I'm not ready, I'm not ready to pass judgment on this guy. He's, he's just been right too many times. He's been right too many times when he should be wrong. But for me, it's, it's a very damning situation to remove yourself at that age 
change weight classes and change your physiology. It's a great experiment. We're all going to enjoy it together, but as you're talking about getting John and Izzy together, you don't know what's gonna happen. Everything moves so quickly. Moving from Izzy and John to one of the other biggest names to emerge from Saturday night. Islam Makhlchev came out, called out Tony Ferguson. Islam Makhlchev, who I might add, is slowly each day becoming more interesting to me. And I have to use that word interesting because it's the one thing that Islam hasn't been. I know that sounds like an insult, but that isn't one thing that Islam's ever tried to be. Islam has succeeded at everything he's ever tried to be. He has tried to be successful. He's tried to be good at a sport. He succeeded. He has yet to try to be interesting. And now that he is trying to be interesting, at least for me, it's working. I'm finding him very slowly each and every day that he comes out with something new, a little bit more interesting. I don't know Islam. I've never met him. I'm going to give a message to him. Now, Islam, you called out Tony Ferguson. Tony and I are going to be announcing Tony's next fight soon. Thought we were going to do this a couple of weeks ago. We're going to be announcing Tony's next fight soon. I only bring that to you. Take your eye off Tony. He's got something else to do. But I did like the call out by Islam because this is what Islam has to do. Islam needs to begin to attach himself to these stars. I mean, you want to talk about headaches at 170? I apologize. Uh, headaches in MMA. 170 takes the cake. Because, I mean, those guys just don't... I just learned a term, squat on your spot. Have you guys heard that? You have a spot, meaning a ranking, and then you squat. You do nothing with it. You squat on your spot. Apparently, that's like an industry term. I'm sharing it with you so that we can add that to the vernacular because I just learned it. But 170, that's all they're doing. But boy, 155, it comes with its own set of problems. You have some absolute hammers at 55. By the way, Islam is one of them, and his mere record alone proves that. That's before you look closer, just at the record. Don't look at the names. Don't look at the placement on the card. Just look at the record. Then you look a little closer and you start to see, this guy's not losing rounds. And then you start to see, this guy's finishing fights. Right? I mean, Islam is one of these very impressive guys, but 55 has some stars. And if you are one of the top guys, but you can't break into the stars, you can't get one of those guys to fight you. I mean, Charles Oliveira is now in the conversation for absolute top, for title fights. For main of Charles Oliveira, uh, Oliveira absolutely matters. Charles is not any better today than he was three months ago, but in those last 90 days, he got Tony Ferguson. He got a star. Which, by the way, I have to mention, because I haven't heard anybody from Team Oliveira come out and thank Tony. I mean, not for nothing, but where's the thank you? Are, are we the only one that sees the only thing's difference in, in Charlie Olive's life from then to today was that Tony gave him a chance? I mean, not for nothing, right? But it's one of these things. Okay. Hold that thought. 155, when you talk about a collective mess, we don't have a champion. Or do we? Do Am I wrong to say we don't have a champion? I mean, the champion says that he's not the champion, but we haven't taken the belt back. So I guess we do. I guess Khabib is the champion. Or is he not? You, you tell it for me. I truly don't know. I think that the rankings still say that Khabib is the champion. I saw that Khabib was removed from the pound-for-pound -pound lift, but if, if he's the sitting champion of the world, you can't remove him from any kind of a pound-for-pound -pound list. You can't remove him from anything. You cannot do both at the same time. You cannot have Khabib as the sitting champion of the tough, or the recognizably toughest division in the sport. Not just in the organization, in all of MMA, 155 is king right now. We also, by the way, guys, have you ever thought about it in this perspective? We don't have a number one contender. We do not officially have a number one contender because what's he going to contend? Do you see the problem? We don't have a number one contender's match. And I was told a couple of weeks ago, and I was operating on the assumption that Poirier and Connor not only were going to fight in the trilogy, that trilogy was going to happen in May. Now, I read as early as this morning, and somewhere it appears that I missed something. Because as of this morning, it was said...
from Connor's team that they're working on a trilogy fight with Poirier, and they even threw something in there to be cutesy and said, yeah, Connor's actually going to train MMA this time. Hold that thought. Wait a minute. We don't, this isn't done. Connor and Poirier and May, that's not a thing. What happened in between? I definitely read that. You guys have read that. Now that's not a thing. We're thinking about doing it. Okay. Okay, fine. Typical fight negotiations. But you see my argument that I'm attempting to make, which is just what the mess we have at 155. We don't have a champion or do we? We definitely don't have a number one contender because there's nobody to contend with because we don't know if we have a champion or do we? And now we can't even have a number one contender's fight. Now, I think that Poirier versus Connor serves every one of those problems. I think you throw the belt up there. That's what I, that's what I think. Other boys in the back are having a tremendous problem with that. Now, they're not having a problem with Poirier and or Connor. Okay, they're having a problem with the belt issue as it would selfishly pertain to them, which they have the right to do. It's a competitive sport. You have the right at all times to do what selfishly serves you. Absolutely you do. I would just argue that that's a short-sighted thought. And whoever in the hell gets that belt, as long as we get on with the belt, is a lot better news for the boys who are looking to contend than it is to have a belt. It's vacated. It's not vacated. Khabib's got it. Khabib doesn't have it. Right? I mean, it's one of these things. Do you know the answer to that question? I'm not trying to be cutesy right now. Is Khabib the champion? That official answer is yes. But I'm not sure within the sport, I'm not sure this is like the nuclear codes where both sides, where you have to, two, two leaders have to turn a key. I think if one guy does the breakup, it counts for the whole thing. But apparently I am wrong. I've never been confronted with this. I cannot give you another example where I've seen this. So, okay, fine. We don't know if we have a champion. We definitely know we don't have a number one contender. And we also have to recognize we don't have a number one contender's bout. By the way, three of the guys that we really want to see the most in the entire sport Chandler, who burst onto the... Golly, did he burst on the scene. What a debut, Michael Chandler. Jiminy Christmas. Dreams are made of what Michael Chandler did. Then you've got Charles Oliveira, of course. Very high demand. And then you've got the man himself, Justin Gaethje. Everybody wants to see Justin fight. And it kind of looks like the two of those guys are going to have to figure it out. And I haven't even mentioned some of the bigger stars. You didn't ever hear me say Paul Felder's name yet. You haven't heard me mention Dan Hooker's name yet. Where is Ally Aquinta? I don't know. One of my favorite guys to watch fight. By the way, Kevin Lee's back. When Kevin Lee comes back, he's going to steal the attention from everybody just because he knows how to do that. I mean, 155 is so awesome right now if, if, and I don't know how to solve the problem. Like, even just theoretically speak, you throw out an idea. You don't actually have to go do the nuts and bolts of it. It'd just be the idea. guy. I mean, I would love to see I, me, Chael, son, a Grand Prix, a tournament. I don't know why we started calling tournaments Grand Prix. I don't know what Grand Prix means. I guess it means tournament. But at any rate, I'd like to see a tournament. But that tournament would come with some very select things. Some very, very select things. One thing that the PFL does, that the PFL has yet to be credited for, is when they set a tournament... Okay, and here's the key. If we're going to do, let's just say we're going to do a lightweight tournament. We're going to take all the killers I just said. Islam's going to get his chance fair and square, but we're going to put the rest of them in there too. One through eight, it's the dates. And that's what the PFL has done such a good job with. When they set a tournament, they will tell you when the quarterfinal is, but they will tell you when the semifinal is. And you can read the straight line bracket to whoever advances to who, but here's when we're going to do it. And whoever advances to Here's when we're going to hold the championship match. Period. PFL has had very good luck that everybody shows up, but just imagine somebody did it. You have a skunk at the garden party? Great. We bring somebody back in. Real simple. Survivor clause. Whoever can move on or wants to, but we're going to figure this out, and here's how we're going to do it. There's going to be no more arguing and no more bickering and no more hearing about you guys from your social media, no more hearing about what you're ranked and somebody else's is ranked, and your manager told you your neighbor's friend's brother's bus driver's kid told you, and therefore, it's, no, 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 excuse me. Straight line bracket. Stand on your own, fall on your own. But here's the dates. It, it's one of these things that I would just like as a fan because I find it mind-numbingly painful. The, the generosity of Dana White has gone too far. It has to stop. 
Dana will go build two. I have a feeling here's exactly what's happening with Connor and Poirier. That Dana built two guys, incentivized this, did something beautiful, put them on a goddamn island, and then they turned the gun on him. That's what I have a feeling why we're not getting part three. It seems like that'd be pretty simple to solve part three. I mean, we would have a pretty good idea of numbers, wouldn't we? Should, should we do a mean between one and two? Or should we just go the highest of one and two? Oh, you think you should get a raise after two to go to number three? I mean, you see where it gets to be mind-numbly painful? And that generosity has been getting taken advantage of time and time again. And now it appears to be slowing things, which is directly going to affect Dana. The last guy who deserves to be effective because it's his generosity that put us in the spot in the, in the first place. I think that's what's happening. That's going to really get my blood temperature up. Because if we're talking about competitors and we're talking about trying to figure this thing out for the right guy, the right guy, and there's some really good arguments in there. And as the masses, we all say very collectively, Poirier. Now, who you want to put Dustin with, we're open to. Is that going to be Khabib? Is it going to be Connor? Do you want to have a match? I think Poirier even suggested put Oliveira and Chandler together. Or put, Ch maybe, I think that's exactly what he said. Or maybe it was put Chandler and Gaethje together. Love both ideas. Who gives a damn? Okay. Okay. But we got to be able to move on with this. We can't just do this in one-offs. And this whole thing is set up right now for one-offs. That's what it's turned into. But that comes back to the generosity standpoint because the contract is very clear. The contract does set out, aside from the date, but it sets out what match one, two, and three are going to look like. So there's nothing to talk about, but the guys keep on wanting to talk about talking and somebody's picking up the phone over there. There is nothing to talk about. Screenshot, contract, where are we at? Match one, match, oh, we're on match three, great. Circle, here's what it is. Now we gotta find the date. And it, it seems as though, I'm speaking out of school, I don't have this as evidence, but I'm looking at an amazing division of which I am highly interested in and I'm going as far as to compliment as to tell you it's the toughest division, full of stars, jam-packed, and rising stars. Every problem you would want to have, it has. This could, these guys could go over and be king, but they don't see that. They don't realize we can drive our division together as partners. We could all hate one another. We could all want to fight one another. We can all be competitive as a partnership. And if they would all move on, 155 could take over. And that's a, that, that's a real thing. You guys will remember in the history of boxing, it was heavyweight, but the end. And I know you like to make believe that your name had to be Frazier, or your name had to be Foreman, or your name had to be Ali, or your name had to be Tyson. You were wrong. You were wrong. You just had to be the heavyweight, and you had to be the star. You had to be the top of the bill. You had to be the main event. You had to be fighting for titles. You just had to be heavyweight. We had this in this sport for a period of time at light heavyweight. John Jones ruined it, but in fairness, he ruined it because he was so damn good. He just cleaned out the division. There was just nobody else to compete with. He Roy Jones the division. 155 can have that same thing. There was a time when if you were under, if you were under 205 pounds, you weren't going to make any money in sport, combat sport, period. Oscar De La Hoya and Floyd Mayweather together changed that. They opened the door, whether Shane Mosley wants to recognize it or even the great Bernard Hopkins wants to recognize it. They are the ones who opened the door. Manny Pacquiao probably doesn't even want to have to admit. Oscar De La Hoya and Floyd Mayweather opened the door for that weight class. They set the table that Canelo and Triple G now eat from. Canelo and Triple G are not going to want to recognize that. Look, they're great. They're competitors. I'm sharing with you that's what happened. You could be as great as you wanted to had De La Hoya and Floyd not come along and made this the focused division. So then De La Hoya and Floyd can remove themselves, but whoever's here, it's the focused division. And 155 has that ability right now. Right now. Competitively. Henri fighting-wise, hating together. They could be partners right now and boost an entire division. They all want to talk about their legacy. How about having a legacy like that of De La Hoya and Floyd that set the table for the rest of sport as long as you weigh what we weigh? I mean, do you understand that? That might sound like a small plight, 
But De La Hoya and Floyd had to work as hard as everybody else. They just couldn't get recognized. The sport just was not there. If you were not a heavyweight, it just simply did not matter. Now, Roy Jones started to bring attention to a little bit lighter guy. You could go back to the 80s with the true four horsemen. Greatest era of boxing. Sugar Ray, Roberto Duran, Marvin Hagler, Tommy Hearns. Aside from that, it was the heavyweights. I'm bringing this to you because the opportunity that 55 has right now and the opportunity that 55 has to be remembered forever, future 55, that doesn't matter to you. It doesn't matter to you how you leave your own division. For some guys, maybe it doesn't, but these guys are not seeing it right now. And they're going to sit out and they're going to say, Islam Makhlchev is going to pass you all up. By the way, he's not interesting. He's starting to be interesting. He's not interesting. Why is he? Why is he? He's out there doing something. Oh, by the way, he wants to compete. That right there separates him from all of the rest of you. I happen to think that Chandler is in that same group. Chandler's not doing a great job of speaking up about that. When I talk to Chandler, I, I feel compelled to bring to you guys. I'm pretty sure Chandler just wants to get in there and compete too. I don't know where Gaethje's been, but Gaethje's been very silent. One of the fiercest competitors we've ever seen. He's been oddly quiet. Oliveira spoke up, but he's had ridiculous demands. The Mokulchevs and the Kevin Lees of the just want to... Look, they're going to pass you. I'm sharing this with you. And if you all work together in some capacity, you could bring a tremendous honor for years to come, for an era to come to your own division. And before we move on, I just want to weigh in on Poirier versus McGregor 3 real quick. Dana said that Connor overlooked Poirier in their second fight. You know what? That is the truth. That is just that's just what happened. And how would you not how would that not happen? If you put yourself in Connor's shoes, how would that not happen? Try to have a pretty good idea of what this contest is going to be like. When you've never worked out with a guy or sparred with a guy and you simply don't know, you've never fought a guy, which would be representative of almost every match that you've ever had. You're going to come together and here's the day we're going to meet, let alone fight. And then you juxtapose that with a former opponent who you had no resistance from. You're just going to remember that. I don't know how a human being would not to have a level expectation of what you're about to get yourself into when it's something you've already done and you had no resistance the first time. Yes, Connor overlooked Poria. Yes. And Connor would probably deny that adamantly prior to the fight because he would look at what did I, did I skip practice? No, I did not. Did I pay attention to my nutrition? Did I get enough rest? Did I sit down with the coaches? Do we have a strategy? Yeah, I did everything you can do. I'm ready to go. But in hindsight, you'll look back because that's something that's inside. It's not necessarily reflected on the miles in the road or the rounds in the room. What Dana's speaking to of overlooking is a mindset. And if you dismiss, and take it from me, but if you dismiss somebody in this realm, okay, if a fight ever turns out to be harder than you thought the fight was going to be, that is when problems happen, and they happen fast. As soon as you find yourself in a tussle that's harder than you thought it was going to be, and you thought it was going to be hard. You know it was the unified rules. You know 25 minutes is a hell of a long time. You know you got one of the top guys. Turned out to be harder than you thought it was going to be. And that's what happened with Connor. Absolutely. It wasn't just the calf kicks. A lot has been made of those. It wasn't just that. There was also a pressure from Poirier. There was also an ability for Dustin to absorb those left hands. Part of it was a block and a defense that he did different. Part of it was Dustin, the first time they fought, did not know those were going to be as lightning fast as they were and as effective the second time he did, and he was ready for it. It was just one of those things. It comes to the overlooking part. What happened to Connor largely is the reverse of what happened to Dustin. Dustin gained confidence. He gained momentum. He gained steam. He started to see how damn good he was. Con it was the other side for Connor. So now Connor's got one thing pulling against and one thing dragging him the other way. It created a gap. Now, I only suggest that for you because while the outcome of part three might not be different, the fight is going to be different. It is going to be a different match, and they are going to prepare, and they are going to assess this thing different. 
And if everybody doesn't learn from the lessons of this, including Dustin, if Dustin does what a lot of victors do, which is everything is fine because we got the result, we got the desired outcome. If you do that, you make a mistake. You have to find the problems. And if you didn't have any problems, then you have to find out what, what were his problems. Maybe I brought the problems. Instead of I had the problems, maybe I am the problem. But what were they? Identify them as a way of stopping them from happening to you. Right? I mean, it's the most basic rule that every civics teacher tells their student. The reason we learn history is because history will repeat itself unless we can identify it and stop it. It is a cycle and we have to break the cycle. Right? I'm, I'm repeating for you what you already know. But I want to elaborate on this because I really think this fight is something that we have to look forward to for a lot of different reasons. And I see where Dustin will be favored. I see a gap there that if this fight is to go off in May, there just isn't enough time, no matter what you do from a physical standpoint, to change the outcome of a physical match by May. That's not a lot of time. But to speak on what Dana is alluding to, it is a mindset, and you can change that overnight once you identify it. Coming up, guys, did you see Juliana Pena's interview with Errol Hawani? She was all fired up, and guess what? I just spoke to her too. I'm gonna tell you all about that in just a moment, but first a word from Athletic Greens. The most comprehensive, tasty, daily nutritional beverage I've ever had. Guys, I live a pretty busy lifestyle, even during the pandemic. I'm grateful MMA never really slowed down between the podcast, TV, work from my home studio, and on the road, coaching, family life. It's been challenging to maintain healthy nutritional habits. And to be honest, I've never really been a fan of eating my vegetables. I know that's not what you want to hear from Uncle Chael, but it's true. This is where Athletic Greens has helped me and hopefully can help you too. It's a daily all-in-one superfood powder. One scoop contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotics, green superfood blend, and more. They all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in our diet, increase our energy, our focus, and help with digestive and support a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products. That's why it works for me. It's hard to remember to take my daily vitamin and get enough veggies to keep old Uncle Chael up and running on all cylinders. Athletic Greens is my one-stop shop. It's simple, easy, and guys, it's delicious. For you athletes out there, this product is NFC certified for sport. It's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on the taste. Right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system and during these winter months, it's offering my audience only one free year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. If you visit my link today, you'll basically never need to buy vitamin D again. So whether you or a family member are looking for peak performance or better health, covering your bases with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health each day simple, tasty, and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash chael and join athletes and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to optimal health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash chael and get your one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. You'll basically never need to buy vitamin D again. So guys, I was minding my own business yesterday. I get a phone call. It's the Venezuela vixen. Juliana Pena calls up and she says, hey, I, I need your help with something. I said, I'm all ears, girl. She said, well, Amanda Nunes doesn't want to fight me. She says, I deserve that fight. That should be my fight. She starts laying her case out to me. And she starts even breaking down all of the reasons that she can beat Amanda. And she had a more keen eye, right? I'm sure that wouldn't surprise you as somebody in the division who's studying and, and uh, plotting to take on Amanda. She was breaking down, look, any problem that Amanda's had, any moments that she's lost, it has all come from the same style, which is a dominant wrestler, which is exactly what I'm going to do to her. 
And by the way, Julie was talking about herself. She said, go watch my fight with Valentina Shevchenko. I kick Shevchenko's ass and find my way into a submission. Now, I didn't remember that. I got to tell you, I just didn't remember that. I didn't remember the two of them fought. Oh, and by the way, I didn't know anybody kicked the bullet's ass. So that got me interested. I'm listening a little bit, but I'm still not sure why she's making this argument. And I finally cut her off. I said, Julie, let me stop you right there. I am of the opinion, supported by Errol Helwani as earlier as today on ESPN, that you're going to be fighting Amanda. Are you here to tell me that that isn't going to happen? She said, yeah, I don't have a fight with Amanda. I go, okay, but I can see you're on board. Is the promotion on board? Because Dana, Dana was putting you over at the press conference. I watched it myself. He goes, yeah, promotion's on board. I said, are you telling me that Amanda Nunes is refusing to fight you or anybody else? Are you telling me Amanda Nunes is privately backing down? She said, that's exactly what's happening. She says, as a matter of fact, it's the third time. She said, the first two times she had reasons. Julie laid this out for me. Okay, guys, I'm not passing a judgment here on Amanda. I'm sharing a conversation that was about Amanda. So if it sounds very swayed against, sure, sure it was. It's a very biased conversation coming from Venezuela Vixen, who's hoping to take her on. But this was her side. It was very interesting to me. It was interesting enough that at the end of the call, I said, Jules, I'm going to go make a, a video on this, but I'm going to say I spoke to you. I'm going to tell the people you just told me, do I, ha is, do I have that blessing? She said, absolutely, but I think it's relevant because if Amanda Nunes ever turned out a fight, I feel as though we would all know. Turned out we didn't. And she said, Chill, this is the third time, let me tell you about the first two. So she coupled them together and it had to do with UFC 200. And right after UFC 200, Amanda turned down the fight. But Amanda, according to Julie, had good reason, which was something along the lines that Julie was 1-1 in her last two, or she was 2-1 in her last three. It was something along these lines of, hey, her record's not good enough. She's not getting a hold of me. So, and Julie accepted it. She's like, eh, you know, I, I, I did lose that one. Something so something else happened on the path, and they tried to get these two together again, and Amanda had another reason to not fight her. Then Julie finally elected herself mayor of Get the Hintville, and started to realize, man, it doesn't have anything to do about my record. It doesn't matter who I beat or who I don't beat. She doesn't want to fight it's me. And all that did was fuel Julie. Gave her a level of confidence, quite frankly. And she said to me, she said to me straight up, listen, here's what I do well. Here's what she doesn't. I want to fight her. She's finding reasons to fight, not fight me. But we're now at number three. And at a minimum... At a very minimum, the people are going to know this story finally. I kept my mouth shut on the first denial. When she swatted me away the second time, I kept my mouth shut there too. Because I thought her argument was fair. I thought that it was could go to anybody. Boilerplate. Now I realize, no, it's significant to me. She sees something with me that she doesn't want to fight. And I, I want the world to know that. So I'm here to tell you that story. I can't confirm it for you. In fairness, I didn't talk to Amanda. I haven't talked to Dan Lambert today. I didn't ask these questions of Mike Brown. But it is very interesting, and I will just share from my own personal perspective. If, if Amanda Nunes turned a fight down, that would surprise me very much. That would just that would surprise me. If Amanda turned a fight down because Amanda sees problems with some other athlete, that would impress me with that other athlete. When I watch Amanda, I see what you guys see. I see a rare greatness who, by the way, has an even rarer dominance. Everybody's champion. Every division has a champion. A dominant champion, my goodness, no, no. Amanda, Amanda has the pool to herself, particularly in the absence of Khabib. I thought that we were going to see, before I got that phone call, I thought for sure we're going to see Juliana Pena versus Amanda Nunes for all of the obvious reasons. Not just competitively, but willingness. Juliana's the only one that showed up for the interview. Got a whole group of people, right? Somebody raise your hand. Let me see what I got to choose. One person's hand goes, I thought for obvious reasons, but now we're hearing, no, that's not the case. And we're also hearing, at least hearing, I'm sharing something with you without the other side of it. We're hearing that it is because of a respect. And respect and fear are very close words, right? Respect is a good word in the fight business. Fear is not. When we hear somebody scared, we tend to pile on something. 
I think you're going to pile on. I think you're going to pile on and want to hear the rest of this story. I think you're going to want to hear from Amanda. But I think if you're like me, and that's the fight you assumed you were going to get, I'm here to bring to you, no, apparently it's not quite that clear. And apparently there is some resistance. It's not coming from the Amanda, or it's not coming from the office, and it's not coming from the contender. It's coming from the champ. Allegedly. I will keep you posted. Now, I want to look ahead to Saturday night's fight between Leon Edwards and Bahal Muhammad. And I got a question for you. Bahal Muhammad, has anybody done more with an opportunity than this guy? I'd love to hear it. If you've got an example of somebody who did, and I hear comparisons to Michael Bisping when he stepped and won the World Championship. I reject that. I reject it because Bisping was already a star. Bisping was already an Ultimate Fighter champion. He was already on the tip of everybody's tongues. He was already a constant main eventer. He had already defeated Anderson Silva. I mean, Bisping had done a lot, so I, I only reject that because I don't think it's equal. I'm talking about Blahal Mohammed, who was never even supposed to be on the card, who in no reasonable scenario is a main event fighter due to notoriety, not because of skill. Has anyone ever done more with an opportunity? Oh, and by the way, by the way, he's serving us the audience. We're owed something. We are owed entertainment. I talk to you guys about this a lot, but in my opinion, the most consistent and reliable actor in Hollywood is Mark Wahlberg. Why do I say that? I'm not saying he's the greatest thespian. I'm not saying that he is Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm not saying he's the most talented man. I would put that as Will Smith. I'm sharing with you he is the most reliable. He and Denzel Washington have something that nobody else has for my money and time. When that is the They have an understanding of the exchange. I'm going to give you two hours of my life and give you $10 of money. You have got to entertain me and not make me regret those two hours. And I think Wahlberg's the best. I would have to put Denzel in there too, in all fairness. Never let me down. And... But we're owed that. We're owed that as the viewer. We are not just owed seeing punches and kicks and an announcement by Bruce at the end for who won. That's part of the exchange, but we are owed entertainment. We are owed that you have something to tell us that's real, that captivates us and turns us on to you or turns us off. And that's where the disconnect comes. Fighters don't want to say anything that could turn you off, so in exchange, they say nothing at all. No, no, no. You owe it to us to turn us off. You owe it to me. If you're a hateable guy, you owe it to me to make me hate you. Blahal Muhammad has done more with this opportunity on short notice, one that he would have never been given, against a number three guy in the world who he never could have got matched up with. And you know what? That has nothing to do with anything. Nothing. And if he goes out there and he beats Leon, it's going to prove beyond rebuke that it has nothing to do with anything. I watched the last Olympic Games, 2016. The Italian won. There was 24 people in the bracket. The Italian was the number 24 seed. He had never won a championship. He had never won a medal in a Class A tournament. He won the gold medal. And he took out the top guy in the very first round. It only got easier from there, at least on paper. The point being, anyone can beat anyone, and we all know these things, but for some reason in this childish and chickenish sport of fake tough guys, not just anyone can get an opportunity. Very strange that you would be the top guy, that you would expect and, and have respect shown to you for the accolades of that little number put next to your name in a room that we don't know where it exists by people that we don't know the names of, but then not take on someone lower. I mean, if you respect the rankings of those who are a very real thing and you're ranked number three and this guy's ranked nothing at all, you should beat his ass. This, this sounds like pretty simple math to me. But the fact that it doesn't work that way is only evidence of the fact that they are just a number. Put by your name in some geographical location that's never been disclosed by people who don't show their name. It's just the truth. Wahal Muhammad is now calling out Colby Covington. 
said and I quote, I will slap him. Now, if you slap Colby Covington, Colby's going to break your hand off. That's a conversation for another day. <laughs> I'm only sharing with you, Bahal is now setting the table for himself in the upper echelon of fighters. If he beats Leon, could he go into a title shot? Sure. Unlikely. Sure he could. If he beats Leon, does he ensure his placement on the card? Yeah, he does. He does. He's now a main event fighter. And so many people want to talk about the championship, and that's all that they want to talk about. And once a month, there'll be something known as a pay-per-view where a championship is up, but every Saturday there will be an event. Main event. Co-main event. These are the spots that you want to go after. Figure out opponent later. Figure out weight class when they tell you. Figure out date when you read it on the sheet. Placement on the card. Main event. If he beats Leon, he may not go into a championship. But Bahal Muhammad is smart enough to not be positioning himself for that and only that. He is positioning himself to remain in main events. It was a guy who's done... Very good job. Won a lot of matches and he's a talented guy that you guys simply didn't know who he was. And in all fairness, I had to learn how to enunciate Blahal. I had to call John Anik and say, how do I say this guy's first name? He's done more with this opportunity than anybody else that I can remember. I don't know what's going to come of it. I don't see anything bad. Even in defeat, I don't know how something bad is going to happen to Blahal Muhammad. That's even in defeat. I, by the way, by the way, separate note, I am picking him to win. Before I head out for the weekend, I want to finish with everybody's favorite upcoming fight, which, by the way, is just over a month away. Dana White, he was sitting down with Mike Tyson and Zab Judah, and Mike Tyson has some level of a program but these guys were outside. I don't know if this was Tyson's program. That's the point I'm getting. I just know Tyson and Zab Judah were there. And Dana, the three of them are talking. And it comes across... It was painfully boring to watch, right? I'm going to summarize to do you guys a favor. Because all Tyson and Zab Judah do is speak over each other and whoever their guest is, which in this case was Dana. So you, you, you've got to put up with the mind-numbingness that two guys are stoned... And don't have the sense that God gave Geith to let their co-worker finish a thought. At any rate, I digress because it's not my point. Dana White was talking about Ben Askren versus Jake Paul. And they're breaking it. Zab Judah saying, man, I've seen this guy. Talk about Paul. I've seen him in the gym. This guy can box. This guy's real. And Dana's like, man, I'm not questioning any of those things. Where I'm coming from is Ben Askren has actually done it. Oh, and by the way, succeeded at it. Now, I got to tell you, because I see it fully the way Dana does, that doesn't make Dana or I right. <laughs> Jake Paul, go in there and light him up. This is, that, that's their business between them. When I'm on the outside, though, looking in, I have been stunned that Jake Paul is the favorite, and I have been stunned at people that have specifically tried to break down the boxing of Jake Paul and Ben Askren. I mean, first off, hold the thought you don't know what you're looking at. I don't mean to say that from my, from my high perch over here. The fact that I know what boxing is doesn't make me better than it. I'm not attempting to sound like I'm condescending. It's one of those weird things. What would the point of knowing good boxing be? I mean, when are you ever going to use that in life? So I'm fully claiming that I have, a, I have an eyesight better than the audience, but I'm admitting that that's not a brag. That's a useless skill in life. Okay, fine. But I still believe that I have it. So when I, when I hear that you're breaking down the pure boxing of Paul versus Askren, of which you've never seen Paul box. In all fairness, you've never seen Paul box. You've never seen Askren box in all fairness. So now we're breaking it down to something even smaller. Don't tell me, I, oh yeah, I saw his last fight. Excuse me, that wasn't a boxing match. You're talking about what you've seen in training. You're talking about guys jumping rope. You're talking about guys shadow boxing. That's ultimately what you're talking about, and you believe that Paul's shadow boxing and jump rope skills Speed bag work is more crisp than Ben's. I'm here to argue for you these guys aren't going to box. And before you part with your hard-earned money or any level of credibility, please at least understand this. 
Because who's better and who's going to win? Again, that's between them. I can say it and shout. It doesn't make me right. It doesn't make it doesn't make me right at all. It doesn't make Dana White right. It doesn't make Ben Askren right. It doesn't make Paul wrong. That's between those boys. But make sure you do know this. They're not boxing. And do not get lost in that. Ben Askren has never agreed to and has never signed up and is never going to box Jake Paul. Ben Askren is going to compete with Jake Paul under boxing rules, and there is a meaningful difference. You are talking about a proven winner as a competitor. And when you're dealing with Ben Askren, and I know him personally, so I want to bring a couple of things to you guys that won't surprise you. Won't surprise you, even, you know, just seeing Ben at a distance, or maybe, you know, he joined you in your living room via the television set. But one thing about Ben Askren, I've never seen anything like it. He is completely comfortable being Ben Askren. You're never going to hurt his feelings. If you want to make fun of his hair or talk about his dad bod, you're, you're ne- you talk about he was knocked out in five seconds by George Mosvall. You're not going to ruin his day. You're, you're wasting your time. He knows exactly who he is, and he likes who he is. He's completely fine with that. I only bring that to you because it's a very interesting mindset you're dealing with here. I am now friends with Ben Askren. At one point, I just knew Ben Askren. I had his phone number. And I would wake up when he was fighting in Singapore for 1FC at 3 in the morning my time. Front row Brian would always have some kind of a feed so that you could click in and what you signed up or they let you watch it for free. But I would So I'd get the link from front row Brian. I'd wake up and I'd watch Ben. And Ben would text me from the locker room at 3 a.m. And I would try to end the texting calls. Now imagine this from my perspective, okay? Just imagine for a moment that you're a fan, which I am. A dedicated fan to the point that you would wake up at 3 a.m. The main event, the last guy to walk out, the champion of the world is texting you from the locker room. I mean, right, he really made me feel good. Ben really made me feel included. But that's something he did not owe to me or to anybody else. If we're there to support Ben, leaving Ben the hell alone, my God, paramount number one. But I would remember those texts because I would say to him, hey, Ben, talk to you after. And he would write back and go, no, 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 please. You know, I I, I really enjoy the distraction. And it's like, yeah, but Ben, the co-main event is in round three. You're next. It wouldn't matter. He would text me until about a minute before funky music hit the speakers and he's making that walk in the yellow t-shirt. It was just one of these things where you were not going to rattle him. And I can recall his second time ever in the UFC, he was getting ready to fight Masvidal. And I saw him on fight weeks on the day before weigh-ins. And we had a quick nice sitting. As he got ready to walk away, I grabbed him. I said, hey. And I was, I was trying to get mentally trying to get him a little bit more prepared for what he was going to feel on fight day. And I grabbed him and I said something short. One, two, at most three sentences. He looks at me and he responds, yeah, okay. And he turns and walks away. He he could not have cared. He didn't know what I was talking about, about how he was going to feel and what nerves and what it's going to be like to walk into that arena. He didn't know anything about it, wasn't curious as to anything about it. I mean, he was so comfortable in what it was he was doing and he knew his task at hand. And please don't push back like a jerk and go, oh, it didn't work out for him. In many ways, it did. In many ways, Ben Askren, who'd only been there one other time, walked out against the biggest star in the sport and had no problem doing it. Made weight like he said, did his media like he said, warmed up like, yeah, sure, he took a shot that would have put you down too before you get judgmental. I'm just sharing with you. Very unique mindset. And in every fight that I've ever been part of, analyst, viewer, participant, coach, corner, the mindset gets weighed in tremendously. You, you're addressing your athlete constantly. Or if I was the athlete, Clayton, non, he's not thinking about my jab. Clayton Hires is, is addressing my body language. He's addressing my face. Judging whether or not I need to be fired up or I need to be calmed. This is 100% of what Clayton was doing with me, particularly fight week fight day, making sure my temperament, and I always hear a discussion on the approach, this guy's scared, this guy's not scared, this guy's confident, this guy questions himself. I don't know how much of that has ever turned out to be true. 
I am the first to tell you that while people love to say that this sport is 80% mental, that is just to write a book to sell on Amazon. This is a physical sport. It does not matter how you feel. No judge ever will weigh in on, well, you know, this guy looks confident. Let's, let's give him the 10 and the other guy the 9. No, 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 no. It's physical. Who touched the guy more than he got touched, right? I only bring it to you because there has been zero weight put on the discussion of the mindset of Jake Paul and Ben Askren. I am convinced that is because Jake Paul is very popular. The people that that hate him love to hate him, and the people that love him love to love him. He's wildly popular, and I think that that is why they are avoiding the conversation of the mental aspect and the mental approach. You are going to get destroyed. You could never compare the mind of Ben Askren to that that's untested of Jake Paul. You have an absolute veteran in Ben Askren. You have a virgin in Jake Paul in terms of the mental capacity that it takes to go out and do that. And I think that that's why it's being left out from the story. I've never seen a fight of this magnitude where the mental side is ignored until this one. And I only bring it to you because it's very, that's a very peculiar thing to all of a sudden be missing from the narrative. Dana White came out in this interview. And he said, and he was arguing, Zab Judah was taking Paul's side. Now you have to understand before you go, oh my God, Zab Judah, he's fantastic. He knows what he's talking about. Zab never weighed in on Ben. Zab never said, I've seen Ben. I trained with Ben. I watched footage of Ben. He only said positives that he saw and witnessed by Paul. Now that's okay. But Dana then weighs in as a guy who's seen them both. And he wanted to end the argument. And now he's getting now he's getting beat, right? I mean, there's three people there, and two of them are picking on him. And Dana just ends and go, I'll put a million dollars on Ben Askren. And believe me, Dana won the argument. Those guys, <laughs> those guys went pretty goddamn silent. But it was this wonderful moment, also because of the loyalty of Dana. Dana's defending his guy. More than anything, he's defending his guy which is a very consistent story. You wonder why the people loyal to Dana are loyal to Dana. It's for crap like that. He will back his guy. It may work and it may not work, but he will back his guy. But Dana did call Zab on it one time, and he said, man, Zab, your buddy's with this guy. You saw his hands. I, I don't I don't question he works hard in the room. You're going to come out and say, he. I, I'm telling you, Ben Askren has fought and been a world champion in fighting what are we talking about here? Now, here's the bad news. Those two, nobody took the bet. It was the Dana's like, I will, but you find someone to bet me is how I was interpreting it. But it's one of these interesting things where he means it. You want to call him on? You be the first to the table. You're going to have a bet. Give you another piece of advice. You lose that bet, you better pay up. <laughs> okay. But it was one of these things where I tend to come into that same regard. I don't necessarily have the rhetoric skills either. I see what you guys see when you try to break down and say that Paul looks like he's better. I see some great stuff from Paul, in fairness. I see some great faints, faints, I'm just fainting you. That's a trained skill. That is not a natural skill. And, and Paul did that a lot in the Robinson fight. He was doing what we call faint. Paul understood range very well. Paul understood footwork to a degree. And Paul had a natural power that none of us are going to deny. So I am not attempting, by the way, to take away from Paul. I'm not of that school of thought of, oh, this YouTuber. That was a thing a long time ago. Paul's a legit boxer, for sure. For sure. I got no problem with that. He looks dedicated. His body looks good, right? I mean, like he's training. You can see it visually. What I'm sharing with you, these guys aren't going to box, no matter how much the promotion and thriller tells you they are. These guys are going to go out and compete. And perhaps one guy is boxing, the other guy is there to compete. This is a competition. Consider that. All right, guys, that's it for today's show. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a review of your welcome on Apple Podcasts, like Mitchell and Josh just did. Thanks, fellas. I really appreciate it. And thanks to the rest of you for listening. I will be back next Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.